0: good morning. I'm always excited to be here. Um, it's always an honor to be able to bring God's word and today is no different. Um, get your bulletin handy. We'll be using them today. That's, that's my prayer. and My hope is that you're going to use these today. And our passage for today is in here. Um, I'm going to exploit my time preaching for just a moment and do a shameless plug for The Exchange tonight. So The Exchange is a multi-generational men's ministry. So young guys, old guys, but we're going to be here in this gym tonight throwing dodgeballs at each other for the glory of God. So (laughs) you should should risk and come out. I've got a gimpy foot still, but I'm going to dress the part and And come out, and I might just be standing in one place getting hit by balls, but I'm going to be here. Um, Let me uh, pray for us, and it's been brought to my attention by several people that um, churches all over the nation today are praying for our president, so I'm going to pray for our time together now, and I'll also pray for our president. Holy God, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to assemble and worship you and read your word out loud without fear of persecution. I pray that you would move in each of our hearts this morning and that you would call us to yourself and show us what it means to risk for the sake of Christ. We also lift up our president to you. We pray that you would give him wisdom and guidance, that you would bless him and his family. Um, Lord, it's just unclear where he stands uh, with you, but we pray that he would know you, um, that he would know what it means to be a follower of Christ. We pray for all of our nation's leaders, that you would give them wisdom and lead them in the way that they should go. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. When I was... um, 21 or 22 I volunteered to do a thing at my church uh this was in Nashville called Backyard Bible Clubs and it was kind of like VBS but instead of everybody coming to the church we went out to neighborhoods and would have kind of like VBS type things in people's yards and the team that I got assigned to uh we went to a trailer park and uh I didn't grow up being around kids very much. So it was kind of out of my comfort zone, but I wanted to go and I wanted to volunteer. And the first day there was this little boy named Ricky and he was five years old. He didn't say a word to anyone. He was really sweet, but he was shy and, um, kind of stayed to himself, but he was wearing a Batman shirt and so was I. And so I sat down and I started talking to him about Batman and he, he opened up and by the end of the day he was my buddy. And I remember at the end we were having a devotional and I was sitting and he was sitting next to me and he reached over and he put his hand on mine and it just killed me. Um and so for the rest of the week my ministry was Ricky. Um I just followed him around. I was his buddy, and people started calling us Batman and Robin. But the the week ended and um, I decided that I would start visiting him. And so I started going to his trailer in this trailer park and it was not a good part of town. And I frankly didn't feel safe being there. And, um, as I started spending time with Ricky, his mom would come out. She was a really rough lady. She was always smoking and she would come out on the phone just cussing up a storm and I remember I would try to like take him away but then it hit me you know like as, as soon as he goes back in he's around this all the time but I started visiting him about once a week and I would try to talk to him about Jesus and I gave him a bible and things like that and for his birthday I went and I bought him this really cool Batmobile um, and I, I went there and I had it wrapped up and and when the kids saw me get out of the car, the, like the other kids in the trailer park, the bigger, older kids, they started kind of crowding around. And I thought, if I give him this present, he's going to get jumped. And later it hit me, I might have gotten him something nicer than his mom even gave him. And it was very uncomfortable for me. And I left that day and I never went back. And... Uh, It's one of the huge regrets that I have in my life, and it's not that I think that God is mad at me or that Ricky's well-being or salvation was contingent on me, but I let fear and just awkwardness um, dictate what I was gonna do. And the more I evaluate my own life and the more I talk to others, the more I'm convinced that we don't regret the things that we fail at, we regret the things that we are too afraid to try. And so this morning, I'm going to talk about risk. And I really believe that if you'll be open and really hear what the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, each one of us will feel called to do something, something that's unique to you. And I want to acknowledge a few things up front The first is that I am not an authority on risk. I wouldn't say that risk taking is something that has defined my life up to this point, but I'm passing things on that I know are true while God continues to work on my heart. And the second thing is risk calls to our mind different things. So when I mention risk, some people may think about investments. Some people may think about thrill seeking. Other people may think about um, being emotionally vulnerable But for our purposes today, let's define risk as taking on something that you're afraid of. Um, And I realize that's ending a sentence with a preposition, but it's taking taking on something that you're afraid of. And the last thing that I want to acknowledge up front is that in talking about risk, I realize that I run the risk of this just being a self-help message. And I could say things like, Face your fears and be the best you but our sermon series this summer is called R and R. And I want to stress that the first R, which stands for remain, is essential to the kind of risk that God is calling us to. In John fifteen five, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So if we remain in Christ, we will bear fruit. And Jesus ends the Great Commission by saying, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's how we remain in him. It's not based on where we are or how we feel. It's based on the fact that when we repent and believe that Jesus is Lord, the spirit of the living God makes his home in our hearts. So that first R, remain, is what enables us to do the second R. So uh, we're going to look at the text for this morning, and it's one that I'm sure you're familiar with. Peter and the other apostles are in a boat, and they've seen something on the water, and at first they think it's a ghost, but then the ghost identifies himself as Jesus. So they realize that it's Jesus. And if you've got your bulletin, uh, you can pick up reading with me. This is Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 28. this story is a beautiful picture, in my opinion, of what life is actually like, because the faith and the fear are both right there. So one moment we're looking at Jesus, walking on water, and the next moment we take our eyes off Jesus and we're being driven by fear rather than by faith. And that's something that I can relate to. And I think the message of the story is something like this, because Jesus is Lord and you know that he's with you always, you can step out toward the things you fear. And even if you fail, Jesus will save you. So when Peter first encountered Jesus, he heard Jesus teach and he witnessed a miracle. And Peter was a fisherman who owned a boat. But when Jesus told him to come follow him, scripture says, Peter left everything and followed him. And that's just one short sentence in scripture. But Peter left his boat and his career and his friends and everything that was familiar and safe to him. It cost a lot. But what I want to emphasize is that leaving our former life and walking toward Jesus isn't just something that we do at conversion, it's something that Jesus calls us to do again and again and again. So if you fast forward to our passage today, Matthew 14, Jesus, I mean, Peter has been following Jesus for a while and he's seen a lot. He's experienced a lot. In fact, the night that Peter walks on water earlier that day, he just witnessed Jesus feeding the 5,000. So once again, just like his first encounter with Jesus, Peter hears Jesus' message and then he sees a great miracle And once again, Peter leaves the boat behind to follow Jesus. And because he's walking by faith rather than sight, he does the impossible. He walks on water, which I know that like, I grew up seeing that on flannel graphs and it's like, we're used to hearing that phrase, but that's weird. He walked on water and I don't even know how to picture what that looks like. But because he was seeking Jesus, he did the impossible. And then he got afraid. And so do I. And so do you, because every time we risk the fear is right there. But what did Peter do? when he was afraid he did the right thing. He did the best thing that he could do. If you look, he cried out, Lord, save me. And then look at verse 31. What happened? Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. Jesus didn't let him flounder for a little bit to teach him a lesson. He immediately reached out his hand. And Jesus said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And we can't know what Jesus' tone was when he said this or what the expression on his face was. But when I read Jesus' words to Peter, I don't hear scolding and judgment in them. I actually hear reassurance and compassion. Um, I talk about, I talk about her a lot. So you probably know this, but Lucy is my daughter and she's one. And, uh, every morning when I wake her up, she wakes up starving because that girl can eat. And if it's been like eight hours since her last meal, it's a desperate situation, but she's, she's also been lying for eight hours in the same diaper which now weighs three pounds. And that's also a desperate situation. So uh, so before I give her her bottle, which she calls Baba, it's really cute, um, I, I change her diaper. But inevitably, every day, even though we do this every day, when I put her on the changing table, she always starts crying and going, Baba. She does this double clap thing when she wants something. It's also cute. Um, <clears throat> but... I say something like, you little stinker, you know, you know, I'm not going to let you starve. We just got to change your diaper first. You know, daddy's gotcha. You little stinker. I think that's what's going on here. I think that Jesus is basically saying to Peter, you little stinker, you know, I'm not going to let you drown. See, the point isn't our faith, whether we have great faith or weak faith. That's often what we draw from this. Like, oh, well, got to have great faith if you want to walk on water. or Better not have weak faith because then, you know, bad things happen. it's, it's, the emphasis isn't on us. The point is Jesus, which is the, the object of our faith is that Jesus always saves. We could see this as a failure on Peter's part, because I'm sure like it was a little bit humiliating getting back in the boat. And the other guys were like, what happened back there, Peter? But what he learned when he was sinking, when the Lord of all creation reached out and took hold of him, I think that was far greater than what he would have learned if he had just stayed on the boat. So my, my main point here is God is calling each one of us out of the boat. He's calling us to risk even in the face of fear. So for the rest of the time this morning, I want you to honestly consider what risk Jesus is calling you toward. What's the thing that you would have to do to step out of the boat? You ready? So we're gonna start with a risk assessment. What keeps us from risking? If that were a question on Family Feud, I'm sure that the number one answer would be fear, right? The thing that keeps us from risking is fear, but what do we fear that keeps us from risking? At the most primal sense, we fear death, but most, most of the risks that we consider are not life and death situations, but we fear failing. We fear losing our comfort or not having enough. We fear getting hurt, or I think maybe more significantly, we fear getting hurt again because we've already put our heart out there before and it was broken and we don't wanna feel that again. So we fear rejection, we fear what people will think of us, we fear embarrassment, we fear criticism. Sometimes we fear we don't have what it takes or we fear change or we fear that doing something might be something that's not God's will So it's safer to just do nothing. Those are the reasons that we don't risk, whether they're good reasons or not, but those are the things that keep us in the boat. But even despite our fears, we can risk. And why are we able to risk? And first, I want to say that if you're trying to live this life on your own strength, And you don't recognize that you're broken and you're in need of a savior, that's the worst kind of risk that you can take. And if you're not a follower of Christ, the risk that I would encourage you to take this morning is to call out to Jesus and just ask him if he is real. Because if you dare to step out of the boat and take a step toward Jesus, I promise that he will reveal himself to you. And when you do that, you have a family here ready to welcome you and walk alongside you. So for the rest of us who are followers of Jesus, why are we able to risk? There are a lot of reasons, but I'm going to give you just a few. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus said of his followers, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. The psalmist says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way. God said to Joshua, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord, your God is with you wherever you go. So we're able to risk because in Christ, we have eternal life that can't be taken from us and because we're never, ever alone. And if we really grasped that, if we really grasped how loved we are by Jesus, can you imagine what we would do? Can you imagine how little we would care whether we're liked or whether we look stupid or whether we make it awkward can you imagine what we would do if we really believed what we know to be true? We can risk and we should risk. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And there's a big difference between being alive and having life abundantly. And we all kind of instinctively know that, right? We We know it when we see it. When someone is fully alive, it's different. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, we'll go to heaven someday, so let's just hunker down and play it safe until the afterlife. The picture that we see in Scripture of people following Christ wasn't normal and safe. A bleeding woman dared to touch the hem of Jesus' garment at a time when women were viewed as less than... And her condition would have rendered her unclean in her community. The friends of a paralytic man dared to rip someone's roof off just so that they could lower him down and get him close to Jesus. And this was in a time when the community would have have assumed that the man's paralysis was a punishment for sin. And if you just flip through the book of Acts, you're going to see that people sell their possessions and give them to the poor for the sake of the gospel. People are imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. People are persecuted for the sake of the gospel. And all of this was risk and none of it was counted as a failure, even when it resulted in death. And that's the kind of abundant life that Jesus died to give us. So right now, I want you to be open to the fact that Jesus is calling you to risk in a specific, tangible way this morning. I'm going to give you three different categories of risk to think about, and as I describe them, I want you to write them down. I gave you a lot of extra space there in your bulletin on the page with the notes. There aren't any notes. Whoa, there aren't any notes. It's so that you can write down. If you're the kind of person that's going to chuck this on the floorboard of your card and not think about it again, or if you don't have a pen, write something on your phone. But I want you to do what you have to do to take this seriously, okay? Give me the thumbs up if you're with me. All right, here we go. We're going to call the first category of risk gospel risk. And Gospel risk is a risk that the Lord is calling you to take that's overtly related to sharing the gospel. So a good question to ask yourself is, what breaks my heart? What breaks my heart? Is it the lost? Is it the fatherless? Is it victims of sexual abuse? Is it the poor, the homeless? Pay attention to what moves your heart. I'm going to give you some examples of what gospel risk may be. Uh, maybe there's a friend, a coworker, a family member that you love and you have a burden to tell them about Jesus. Maybe you have a fear of being disliked or making it awkward, or maybe you fear that you don't know what to say or you don't know enough. For me, uh, I go to the same coffee shop every Monday and work from there. And there's a barista that I see every week and I talk to him and he's a really kind guy. I have no idea if he's a Christian. As I have chewed on this and wrestled with it and worked on this sermon, I can't ask you to risk if I'm not willing to do it myself. So tomorrow when I go there, however awkward it is, I'm going to have a meaningful conversation with him where I at least let him know I'm a Christian. And we'll see where the Holy Spirit takes it. And you can ask me about it. You can hold me to the fire with that. And I can tell you that's not something that's like comfortable or in my wheelhouse. Here's some other examples of gospel risk. You're older and you have a heart to pour into younger people but you don't know how to approach them. Uh, You've been telling yourself for two years that you really wanna go to women's Bible study or to band of brothers or to be in a community group but you haven't done anything about it. Maybe you're feeling that instead of pursuing business management, maybe you're called to be a pastor. Maybe you're wondering if the Lord may be calling you to missions. Maybe God is calling you toward generosity. Giving is something that you've never taken very seriously, but whenever you think about it, you feel a prick in your heart. Money is not something that like anybody likes to get up here and talk about, but it is your giving, our giving, that enables us to be a blessing to the community. And I just want to draw to your attention, these white baskets on the first Sunday of the month, you can give specifically to the deacons fund. So if you're the kind of person that's like, well, I don't know where my money's going. If you put money in that basket, is it going to go to help someone? Whatever gospel risk God is calling you to, you aren't in this alone. There are people right here who've done similar things who'd be honored to come alongside you. So, uh, talk to Mark Stanicus about starting a faith-based nonprofit or talk to John Smith about how to share the gospel with people. Talk to Hilda Gamica or Amy Huber about how to reach out to young women in the church. Your pastors would be honored to talk to you about your calling. Our job is to equip you, the church, to go out and be the living water to a world that's dying of thirst. We are called to equip you so that you can go do this stuff. (coughs) If you're thinking about missions, dip your toe in the water and go on one of our short-term missions. This morning, we're sending out a group of missionaries who are taking off work and giving of their gifts and their time and their money and their talents to go to Honduras to do medical missions and to do child care. We're going to pray for them at the end of the service. Or if you want to talk about gospel risk... Go talk to the Stuarts after church in the lobby. Um, Many of you probably know the Stuarts. They're our missionary partners to Japan. They have been worshiping with us for the past year, and this is their last Sunday here at Orangewood before they go back to Japan. So I, I asked Robert, as you say goodbye, what do you want Orangewood to know? And listen to what Robert said. We're so thankful for the support that we've received from the Orangewood community. Each time we come home to the States, we look forward to worshiping at Orangewood with the same enthusiasm of those who long to visit Disney. We love worshiping together and we'll miss it so much. We want to see God raise up a Japanese version of Orangewood Church. Pray that God's spirit of harvest would sweep over Japan. Japan continues to be the second largest unreached people group in the world. Many have never heard the name of Jesus. We're so thankful to be called to a ministry that allows us to introduce people to Jesus for the first time. Are the Stuarts here today? Oh, there you are. Can you stand, Stuart, so everyone can see you? And, and I, yeah, let's, let's clap for them. And uh, you guys can have a seat. Um, I just want to point out Robert asked for prayers for Japan and didn't mention anything about their needs. Their heart is for the lost. But I encourage you, following this, to go out to the lobby, talk to them, thank them, hear their stories, their stories of gospel risk. And I, I want to tell you, here's the deal. The stewards still need financial support. They are leaving, making their way back to Japan, and right now they're 88% funded. They risk so much to go to the other side of the world and tell people who desperately need to hear the gospel about Jesus. Let's take worrying about financial needs off their plate. So if you want a very practical, tangible way to risk this morning, give to the stewards. Let's, let's send them back fully funded. That's what I think. We brought our checkbook. I don't know what that's going to mean for us. but So gospel risk second category I want to talk about, I'll call it relational risk. Relational risk is something that God is calling you to do that will draw you closer to someone else. Some of you have been hurt by someone and it's eating at you, but you don't want to say anything because you don't want to make it awkward. But what's actually happening is it's, it's hurting the relationship. Some of you need to humble yourself and apologize to someone For some of you, maybe there's a relationship where things just got weird and you don't know why and things have kind of drifted apart and you just need to speak to it. Maybe the relational risk that you need to take is asking the girl out. Um, Maybe you've been hurting relationships before and you've shut yourself off to the possibility because it's safer to just stay in the boat. (coughs) Maybe, probably... You need to pursue your spouse's heart and maybe it's been a while since you've actually just asked how they're doing. Maybe it's been a while since you've just done something fun together. Maybe your kids are teenagers now and you no longer know how to relate to them so you've just stopped trying. Maybe Jesus is calling you to simply tell them that you're proud of them. And that there's nothing that they could do to make you love them any less. I can't tell you how much a child needs to hear that, however old they are. Maybe you need to reach out to someone who's hurting. I, uh, my, my barber knows that I'm a mental health counselor. And the last time I got my hair cut, he was like, I need to ask your advice about something. And I was like, uh-oh. It's not exactly what I do. But he, he told me that a good friend of his, um, he had seen on Facebook the day before that his five-year-old son was hit by a car and he posted it, um, from the hospital. So he didn't even know if his friend's son was alive or dead, but he hadn't reached out to him for fear of saying the wrong thing. And I told him, you need to call him even if all you say is, I don't know what to say, but I'm so sorry. And I'm here if you need anything, because even if you say the wrong thing, it's so much better than saying nothing. You'll never regret risking relationally. No one comes to the end of their life and says, I should have worked more overtime, right? People regret things like not pursuing their wives, not being reconciled with a parent, Not being generous, they regret being driven by fear rather than doing the thing that was actually important to them. So step out of the boat with relational risk. And I would guess you probably all already have an idea of some relational risk that you could take. So write it down. And the third category of risk that I'm calling you to is uh, what I'll call existential risk. And if you don't know, what the word existential means, it doesn't really matter. It, it has to do with purpose and meaning. So existential risk is something that God is calling you to that has to do with not just living, but with living abundantly. And so if you want to figure out what that might be, good questions to ask yourself are, what am I passionate about? What is meaningful to me? What gives me life Often, existential risk pertains to vocation, and I can't tell you how many clients I see in counseling who, um, they're basically discontent with their work because they're pursuing what's safe rather than what's meaningful to them. Or maybe they see jobs that they think they would love, but they've convinced themselves that um, I don't have what it takes, I'm not qualified enough, I don't have enough experience, And I just always tell them, step out of the boat because the worst thing that could happen is you don't get the job. And guess what? Jesus Christ still loves you dearly. And it's still a victory because she tried and you never have to wonder what if. What ifs are the worst. Worse than failure, in my opinion. Maybe doing what you're passionate about would require that you go back to school or take a certification exam or something learn about business. There's usually like eight really horrible things standing between you and the thing that you really want to do. Step out of the boat. Um, I don't know how many of you know uh, the Browns, Scott and Christine Brown. Scott's one of our elders. Uh, Scott's wife, Christine, she is a dreamer. And if, if you haven't met her, you need to just be around her. She talked Scott into buying historic home but not to live in. Um, They turned it into an art space and a store for local artisans. And it's cool. Probably made no financial sense, probably made no sense on paper, but they're bringing light to the community and people are inspired just by hearing their story. So if you're having trouble taking a risk, talk to the Browns. That's like the water that they wade in. They're about to take their big old family on a 35-day trip across America in a in an RV. Risk. Um, so the thing is, not everyone gets to do or has to do what's life giving to them for a living. And that's okay, but we still need to have outlets to do the things that give us life. So maybe you used to paint before the kids came, but it's been years since you've painted. Um, maybe health and fitness is important to you, but you just haven't been taking time for it. I know yesterday there was a going away party for the Stewarts, and we were like probably an hour away from leaving and Brandy and I were talking about what we were going to bring and we had like some store-bought things and she said, this is killing my soul. And I was like, that's a little dramatic. And, <laughs> and she was like, it's really not. And I thought about it and it's really not. Because something that is life giving for brandy is to be able to bake. She loves it. And so it it's like it was this huge signifier to her, like I haven't had the time or maybe made the time to bake, and so I'm having to bring store bought cookies to this thing. And I know that it may sound like this doesn't have anything to do with the gospel, but it absolutely does because it's the abundant life. In 1 Peter 3.15, Peter says, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. So if you spend all your time doing things that drain you, will anyone see any hope in you? You won't have a very great capacity for hope and love and abundant life. And when you fail to risk you're depriving the world of the gift that you have to offer your creativity, your voice, your leadership, your vulnerability. So in closing, I have five very practical steps for you. Okay. Step one, write it down. We've talked about gospel risk. We've talked about relational risk. We've talked about existential risk put it in your phone, write it down, do something that will make you see it because you might feel stirred up right now and you might not tomorrow. So write it down. Step two, pray and ask the Lord before Peter stepped out of the boat. He said, Lord, if it's you command me to come to you on the water. So ask God, are you really calling me to do this? And then go where the peace is. If it's on your heart this morning, it's probably the way to go. You don't need to sit on it for three weeks. You just pray, and then you go where the peace is. Step three, tell someone. Tell your spouse. Tell a good friend. Tell someone who will give a rip. Tell someone who will hold you to it and pray for you. Step four, lean on the reasons to risk. So in your bulletins... There's this little box that says further study here. Again, if you're gonna throw it away, just take a picture of it. I put scriptures that if you will honestly speak truth to yourself with these scriptures, they are your reasons that you can and should risk. And step five is step out of the boat. And I'm gonna add to that, do it this week. Step out of the boat and keep in mind you're just stepping out of the boat. So there may be something like telling your wife she looks pretty or writing a letter to somebody, calling your mom. You can do that and it's kind of one and done. Although hopefully you'll keep telling your wife she looks pretty. <laughs> but there are other things that might be more involved. Like maybe you really think, I think I might need to look for a new job. You don't, you don't have to get overwhelmed and think like, I can't get to the top of the mountain today. You just do the next right thing. You take... The first step, maybe it's updating your resume. Maybe it's looking online to see what's out there, but take some risk and then you take the next step and then you take the next step. But whatever the risk is that God is calling you to take, do it and let's talk with one another about it this week. Talk about it at your community groups. Talk with the people that you're gonna share it with. And I want you to think of it this way. Often, the best thing that we can do, the thing that we need to do, is the scariest thing to do. And we know this even from, like, stories. You know, like, uh, like, Frodo had to, he had to climb Mount Doom. You know, like, he had to do the scariest thing to do the right thing. But the greatest thing that's ever happened to humanity the history of the world was also the darkest. Jesus, the son of God, the Lord of all creation, the only sinless man to ever walk the earth was murdered on a cross on our behalf. The apostle John said, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Death and sin didn't overcome Jesus. He overcame them for our behalf. There's no place darker than the cross and you'll never have to do anything even close to that because he did it for you because it is finished. Based on that, we can step out of the boat into the darkness and the wind and the crashing waves and we can do whatever that thing is that God's calling us to do Even despite our fears, we can risk because Jesus is with us always to the end of the age. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the hope of the world. And we long for the day when... Lord Jesus, you return and you make all things new and you wipe the tears from our eyes and you eradicate death and sin and corruption. But until that day, Lord, give us the courage, give us the mustard seed of faith to step out of the boat to show the world what the kingdom of God is like. I pray For anyone here this morning who has never declared that you are their Lord, I pray that you would move in their heart, give them the boldness to risk. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.